MSW Media. This episode is sponsored by Lumi, the game-changing whole-body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work on pits, feet, and privates. New customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code DAILYBEANS at lumideodorant.com. And thanks to Delete Me for supporting the show. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, December 12th, 2023. Today, a very special Daily Beans. I know everyone is a little tired of living through history, but today was an historic day in the news. Special Counsel Jack Smith filed for an expedited briefing schedule in the D.C. coup case in both the appeals court and the Supreme Court, and both his motions were granted, mirroring history and what happened in Watergate 50 years ago. We will discuss those filings, the historic parallels, and the headlines of the day, including Kate Cox being forced to travel to another state to seek life-saving health care, pre-trial motions filed in the Hunter Biden gun case, and Rudy Giuliani's defamation trial. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Today is truly an historic day. I've been covering the news for six years now, and I can say without a doubt in my mind that what happened today on the docket makes this probably the single most important day on the docket I've seen since covering the Justice Department. I'll get to that in a minute, but first, I just want to take a minute to thank everyone for coming along on this ride with me. In November of 2017, I sat watching a documentary on MSNBC called All the President's Men Revisited. It was a 2013 news documentary about Watergate, and MSNBC was running it because of the parallels between the investigation into President Nixon and the Mueller investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. At the time, it had been five months since Mueller had been appointed special counsel, and as I watched the documentary on Watergate, the historic importance of Mueller weighed heavily on me. I decided then and there I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to document the investigation in real time as it happened, so there'd be an historic record of the week-by-week news about the probe, and I wanted it to be by women, because I believe women have a different perspective on justice. Not better, just different. And I wanted it to be funny and have some swearing, because I wanted people to be able to get the news without walking away with an impending sense of dread, because we all get enough of that from the talking heads we see on a lot of network news. And at the time, I didn't have a journalism degree. I didn't have a law degree. I had never worked at the Department of Justice. And actually, I was working in the federal government for the Trump administration at the time. So we set up some microphones at my kitchen table, and Mueller, she wrote, was born. The Trump administration would eventually investigate that podcast and remove me from my job in the federal government, one I had dedicated my life to so I could help veterans and active duty service members get timely access to quality health care. Almost exactly five years later, I found myself starting another podcast about another special counsel, this time investigating that same target's attempt to subvert democracy, obstruct an official proceeding, disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, 
and conspire to deprive us of our right to vote and have our vote counted. And now I'm hosting that podcast. It's called Jack with the subject of the Mueller She Wrote podcast, former acting director of the FBI, and someone who'd also been wrongfully terminated by the Trump administration, someone I'm now honored to call my friend, Andy McCabe. And today, that same feeling of historic relevance I felt about the Mueller investigation as I watched that documentary on Watergate, that same historic relevance is in the news today. Not only does what happened today mirror what happened 50 years ago during Watergate, but there were also similar filings in another case that mirror what happened during the Mueller investigation. It's like the cosmic justice planets have aligned to bring us Monday, December 11th. And I'm so honored to be able to bring this news to you today, almost exactly six years after I started down this path. And now here we are. And there's no one I'd rather witness this history with than you. It is an honor to bring you the news. So thank you for being there. And thank you for being here. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. I have four stories today that impact democracy on an historic scale. First, special counsel Jack Smith filed for an expedited briefing schedule with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to consider Trump's motion to dismiss the D.C. case against him under absolute presidential immunity and double jeopardy. Absolute presidential immunity. The whole reason we wanted to become our own country in the first place to get away from the divine right of kings and that no man was above the law. And because these are constitutional questions, under a case called Griggs, this appeal is interlocutory, which means it must be decided before Trump's trial in D.C. begins. In Jack Smith's filing, he stressed the need for Trump's appeal to be decided quickly so as not to delay the March 4th trial because of the public's right to have this thing over and done with before the 2024 election. Next, Jack Smith filed for an expedited review today of the same matter with the Supreme Court, leapfrogging the appeals court. In extraordinary circumstances, SCOTUS is allowed to grant a writ of certiorari or grant cert before the appeals court makes a ruling. It's happened 49 times, and the University of Texas law professor Steve Vladek has shared that list of 49 cases on his Twitter account, in case you're interested. One of those times was in U.S. v. Nixon, when a special prosecutor in that case was trying to subpoena the Nixon tapes, and Nixon had filed a motion to quash that subpoena. In May of 1974, the Department of Justice asked the Supreme Court to hear the case before the appeals court ruled on the matter because that trial was scheduled to begin four months later in September. In this case, we are also four months from trial. Now, in that case, the Supreme Court took one week to grant cert and set arguments for July of 1974, two months later. That decision issued 16 days after that, and the trial began in the fall of 1974. Jack Smith asked Supreme Court here to order Donald Trump to reply to the petition for cert by December 18th. Oddly enough, I was born in 1974. I am as old as this case. Now, within hours, the Supreme Court ordered Donald Trump to reply by December 20th, just two days after Jack Smith wanted him to. Keep in mind, they did not grant cert, but they did grant Jack Smith's request for an expedited consideration of his petition for cert. 
That's what he asked for. So it wasn't like he was asking for cert right now. He was asking for an expedited consideration of cert, and he got it. And then, within minutes, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals granted Jack Smith's expedited briefing schedule. Trump's response for the appeals court is due tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern, and Jack Smith's response, if he files one, is due Thursday by 10 a.m. Eastern. The three-judge panel includes Pan, Childs, and Henderson. Henderson is a Bush appointee. The other two are Biden appointees. Now, Jack Smith has told SCOTUS that if they ultimately deny cert, he has filed with the appeals court, which he now has expedited briefing schedule for, and he asked the Supreme Court to expedite that appeal if he has to come back. And since the appeals court may be done with this by the time Trump's response is due in the Supreme Court on December 20th, it appears no matter what, this is fast-tracked. Now, something else extraordinary. In U.S. v. Nixon, there were three Nixon appointees sitting on the Supreme Court. One didn't vote, and the other two voted against him. The same could happen here. Thomas may sit this one out. I doubt it. (laughs) But he might. Now, here's how this could turn out. Scenario one, SCOTUS gets the filing from Trump on December 20th and grants cert. They set a hearing before the end of this term, which is June. And then we get the trial probably around March 4th, if not maybe a month or two later. Or the Supreme Court could get Trump's response and deny cert. By then, the appeals court should be done with it. And then Smith could reapply for cert with SCOTUS and ask for an expedited briefing schedule. Seeing as they granted his expedited briefing schedule for this, I don't see why they wouldn't grant it for that. Then the other thing is they could grant cert, set a hearing day after that, or deny cert, and then the appellate court's ruling would stand. Either way, I think this goes fast enough to keep that March 4th trial date or something close to it. Andy and I are going to go over all of this on the next episode of the Jack Podcast. Next historic bit of news today, the former president's attorney's defamation trial began. Rudy was late to court, naturally. And this is from Caitlin Polans at CNN. The trial, which is expected to only last four days, marks the last step in a months-long legal battle between Giuliani and former Georgia election workers, Wandrea Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, who accused Giuliani of defaming them after the 2020 election when he served as the head of Trump's legal team. The trial is putting on public display for the first time before a Washington, D.C. jury the actions of Trump's lawyers and campaign months before the ex-president is set to go to trial in the same courthouse on criminal charges related to the 2020 election subversion effort. Giuliani's efforts also factor into the criminal allegations Trump faces, and Trump, his legal team, and his campaign are legally considered co-conspirators in the defamation case. During opening statements Monday, an attorney for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss leaned on Giuliani's own words and social media posts as he argued to the jury that former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani had a devastating impact on their lives. Giuliani has already been found liable for the defamation, and he already owes Freeman and Moss over $230,000 after failing to respond to parts of their lawsuit. The mother and daughter are now seeking tens of millions of dollars, claiming they have suffered emotional and reputational harm, as well as having their safety put in danger after Giuliani singled them out when he made false claims about ballot tampering in Georgia. 
The women are asking the jury to consider awarding them between $15.5 and $43 million for the reputational harm they've suffered alone from a series of specific statements Giuliani and others, including Trump and his campaign, made about them. On top of that, they're also seeking payment for their emotional distress, attorney's fees, and for the jury to fine Giuliani as punishment for his outrageous conduct and to deter him and others in the future. This could be a staggering sum of money. Despite the federal judge overseeing the case having already ruled that Giuliani spread false information about Moss and Freeman, he told reporters after his first day at trial that evening what he said about the two women was true. Quote, of course I don't regret it. I told the truth. They were engaged in changing votes. Okay, that's more defamation. And that can also be sued for. Ask, ask E. Jean Carroll. During opening statements, Vaughn DeBose, an attorney for Freeman and Moss, showed videos and played audio clips in which Giuliani repeated false claims that the two election workers stuffed ballots and were caught on video allegedly passing a USB drive as part of a vote-stealing scheme. None of those claims were true, and the supposed USB drive was a ginger mint. DuBose held up one of the mints on Monday for the jury to see. But those claims led to a deluge of threats and harassment on social media through voicemails and in person against the two election workers. DuBose played haunting voicemails that the plaintiffs received in which they were called racial slurs and other insults. Some of the messages contained death threats. Have a nice life, what's left of it, one person said in an audio clip. DuBose said those messages were just a small sample of the hundreds and hundreds of messages and threats that they received. Giuliani's false allegations, quote, had the most powerful amplifier on earth, the social media accounts of Donald J. Trump. That's another attorney for the two women, Mike Gottlieb, speaking to the jury. As you hear the evidence, consider a verdict that will send a message, he said. In his own opening statement, Giuliani's attorney, Joseph Sibley, acknowledged that some harm was done to Freeman and Moss and that the jury would be awarding damages against his client, but argued that the amount sought by the plaintiffs far exceeded what Giuliani should have to pay them as a result of his conduct. Sibley said at one point that what the plaintiffs are asking for in damages is the civil equivalent of the death penalty. Quote, they're trying to end Mr. Giuliani. There's really no question that these plaintiffs were harmed They didn't deserve what happened to them, but he said it involved a lot of people. It wasn't just Rudy Giuliani. Now, Sibley at one point said that Freeman and Moss were asking for more in damages than what a jury awarded actor Johnny Depp in a defamation case last year. In that matter, Depp was awarded $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages in a case involving his ex-wife. But the judge overseeing Giuliani's case made clear she didn't want the jury considering the facts of that case as they decided what to award Freeman and Moss in this case. She said, Mr. Sibley, let's stick to this case. That's Judge Beryl Howell. The former New York City mayor is expected to testify in his own defense. I'm not sure that's the best idea. But his lawyer didn't know during a hearing last week if Giuliani would invoke his Fifth Amendment rights on the stand. On the other hand, Moss and Freeman's team plan to show clips to the jury of other Trump campaign figures like Jenna Ellis taking the fifth when declining to answer questions at her deposition. While Giuliani conceded in July that he did make defamatory statements, he attempted to argue that his statements did not cause any damage to the two women and that his comments about voter fraud in Georgia were protected speech. But Giuliani lost the lawsuit in August after Judge Beryl Howell determined that he failed to provide information sought in subpoenas. Hal rejected Giuliani's complaints of being buried in litigation costs, which she called a cloak of victimization. 
CNN has previously reported Giuliani is struggling with the costs of numerous legal challenges he faces related to his work for Trump following the election. And in a court filing in August, Giuliani says he's effectively out of cash. To ease some of the financial strain, Giuliani listed his three-bedroom Manhattan apartment for $6.5 million, which Hal pointed out to make the case that Giuliani could pay the damages, along with a reimbursement he received from Trump and his travel on a private plane when he was processed in Fulton County in Georgia. Pete Strzok will be attending the trial this week, and we'll tell you all about it on next week's episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45. Not tomorrow's, because it, <laughs> it was too, too much is happening. Next week, we're going to talk about it. Next bit of historic news. The president's son has been indicted by U.S. attorney, obviously, one appointed by Donald Trump. Today, pretrial motions to dismiss were due in the gun charges case against Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden's lawyers filed four separate motions. This is from Zachary Lehman at The Messenger. Biden's legal team filed multiple motions on Monday to dismiss federal gun charges the president's son is facing in Delaware. Biden was charged in September with making false statements on a firearms form and possessing a firearm while an active drug user. The Messenger reported earlier on Monday Hunter Biden was expected to file his motions today. Hunter Biden's legal team argues that the charges against him should be dropped since they violate a previous diversion agreement reached with federal prosecutors. Quote, nevertheless, the prosecution did just that by subsequently bringing this indictment, charging Mr. Biden with three felony firearm offenses, which all relate to the firearm identified in the diversion agreement's factual statement. That's one of the four motions. Biden's previous plea deal would have seen him pleading guilty to tax charges and the more minor gun charges being dropped. But that deal fell apart in court under questioning from U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Norica. Hunter Biden also is now currently facing multiple tax evasion charges, we know. Now, in a second motion to dismiss the gun charges, his lawyers argued the charges don't amount to constitutionally chargeable offenses. They argued the prosecutors are using a rarely used and legally questionable statute to charge Biden with owning firearms while he was the unlawful user of a controlled substance. Third motion to dismiss that David Weiss was unlawfully appointed. The reason that this sort of matches and mirrors what I've been talking about over the last six years is that there were several motions like this to dismiss the charges brought against people in the Mueller investigation because they claimed Mueller was unlawfully appointed. I don't think this is going to fly just like I don't think those were going to fly. And they didn't. But they go on here to say Biden's legal team argues in their motion that Weiss was appointed by Merrick Garland to investigate the president's son, but also continued to serve as a U.S. attorney for Delaware. A special counsel would need to be from outside the government, the motion argues, citing DOJ regulations. A fourth motion cites vindictive prosecution and breach of separation of powers. This is the big one. Biden's team admits proving vindictive prosecution can be difficult, but says the evidence here is on steroids, and that's a quote. The motion again cites the previous diversion agreement, as well as the years-long investigation by Weiss. The motion argues the deal was reversed amid pressure from Donald Trump and others, making it clear they were upset with the outcome of the investigation. Biden's team also added a fifth motion on Monday. This one called for a hearing on its earlier motions to dismiss, as well as for discovery and evidentiary hearings. Weiss's team faces a January 16th, 2024 deadline to respond to these filings from Hunter Biden to dismiss the case. And the president's son has until January 30th to put up any additional arguments on paper. There is also no trial schedule yet for Hunter Biden in the Delaware gun case. And finally, 
from Daniela Silva at NBC, a Texas woman whose fetus had a fatal diagnosis and who was awaiting a decision from the Texas Supreme Court about whether she would be allowed to get an abortion, said Monday she has decided to leave Texas to get the procedure. Kate Cox, a mother of two, is around 20 weeks pregnant, found out just after Thanksgiving her developing fetus has trisomy 18, a fatal diagnosis. Seeking to terminate the pregnancy to protect Cox's health and future fertility, she and her husband sought a court order to block Texas's abortion bans from applying in her case. A district judge granted the request Thursday, but then the state Supreme Court temporarily paused the lower court's order Friday. On Monday evening, the Texas Supreme Court directed the lower court to vacate its order. Quote, a woman who meets the medical necessity exception need not seek a court order to obtain an abortion, the court wrote in its decision, adding the law leaves two physicians, not judges, both the discretion and the responsibility to exercise their reasonable medical judgment given the unique facts and circumstances of each patient. But before the Supreme Court issued its ruling, Cox's lawyer said she intended to proceed with the lawsuit despite seeking an out-of-state abortion. Quote, because the issues in this case are capable of repetition, yet evading review, the plaintiffs nonetheless intend to proceed with their case. That's Molly Duane, senior staff attorney at the Center for Reproductive Rights, that she's representing Kate Cox. Duane and Cox had to seek medical care outside of Texas due to the ongoing deterioration of her health. In a statement, Nancy Northup, president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, said this past week of legal limbo has been hellish for Kate. Her health is on the line. She's been in and out of emergency rooms, and she couldn't wait any longer. She desperately wanted to be able to get care where she lives and recover at home surrounded by family. While Kate had the ability to leave the state, most people do not, and a situation like this could be a death sentence. Now, Texas has two primary laws restricting abortion. The first, enacted before the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, it authorizes private citizens to file civil suits against anyone who provides or abets an abortion after about six weeks. Under the second, the state's trigger law, which took effect after Dobbs, it is a felony to perform an abortion from the moment of fertilization. Each law offers limited exceptions for medical emergencies. As we know, trisomy 18 is a rare chromosomal disorder likely to cause stillbirth or the death of the baby shortly after it's born. It also poses health risks to pregnant patients. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and lawyers for the state argued Cox's attorneys had not sufficiently demonstrated that her situation qualified for an exception and that it would cause the state immediate and irreparable injury, not her. In the Monday filing, Cox's attorney said that another reason she chose to leave the state is the attorney general's ongoing threats to enforce Texas's abortion law against her. After the lower court's ruling, Paxton said in a statement that the order would not prohibit private citizens or a district county attorney from enforcing Texas's pre-Roe abortion law against Cox's doctors or anyone else. He added that the judge's order would expire long before the statute of limitations for violating Texas abortion laws. The panel of judges that decided Cox's case leans conservative. A pregnant woman, quote, does not need a court order to have a life-saving abortion in Texas. Our ruling today does not block a life-saving abortion in this very case if a physician determines that one is needed under the appropriate legal standard using reasonable medical judgment. That's what they said. Kimberly Mutcherson, a professor of law at Rutgers, said that part of what the Texas Supreme Court judges had to consider was whether they wanted to, quote, be in the business of having every single medical exemption case end up in their hands. 
During the lower court hearing on Thursday, Duane argued that Cox was at high risk for multiple pregnancy complications, including hypertension, gestational diabetes, and infection. Quote, many of Ms. Cox's health risks during this pregnancy will put her life in danger if left untreated, and carrying this pregnancy to term will significantly increase the risk to her future fertility, meaning that she and her husband may not be able to have more children in the future. State District Judge Maya Guerra-Gamble acknowledged those risks when she granted Cox's requested order on Thursday. Quote, the idea that Miss Cox wants to desperately to be a parent and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is shocking and would be a genuine miscarriage of justice. A 2017 study found that trisomy 18 was associated with an increased risk of gestational diabetes, preterm delivery, and cesarean section. Now, according to her petition, Kate Cox has elevated glucose levels, which put her at high risk for that gestational diabetes. She also delivered both her children via C-section, and that makes her more likely to need the surgery, which brings more risks than vaginal birth. Already, Cox has been into the emergency room four times for pregnancy symptoms. Now, trisomy 18 is random. It occurs about once out of every 2,500 pregnancies, according to the Cleveland Clinic, and 95% of fetuses with the condition don't survive full term. The condition causes multiple anomalies that prevent babies from surviving outside the womb, such as brain, facial, cardiac, and abdominal wall defects. Cox's lawsuit was among the first of its kind. Very few pregnant women have filed legal challenges to their state's abortion restrictions. In Kentucky, a pregnant woman filed a similar suit last week, alleging she and others like her are suffering irreparable harm as a result of the state's abortion ban. And in an ongoing lawsuit in Texas, a group of women who were denied abortions have sued the state seeking to clarify the types of situations that constitute a medical emergency. Now, these four stories, one dealing with the subversion of bodily autonomy as a result of Trump's Supreme Court appointees, another, the expedited briefings in a case about presidential immunity under the broader umbrella of a case in which Trump tried to obstruct the peaceful transfer of power, Another, a case in which a current president's son is indicted possibly out of vindictive or selective prosecution initiated by Donald Trump, and the restitution owed to two women targeted by Trump's former attorney in an attempt to subvert the 2020 election. These are all truly historic news stories, and they all have one thing in common, Donald Trump. We'll be right back with the good news. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's AG. Have you ever really sat down and thought about how much of your personal stuff and your personal info is out on the open internet for anyone to find? It's probably a lot more than you realize. It certainly was for me when I Googled myself. It isn't difficult for the wrong people to find your name, contact info, home address, social security number, and other specific information about your family. And all of it's being collected and compiled by data brokers that sell it to the highest bidders online. This makes it easy for anyone on the web to gain access to your private details, leading to identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, unwanted spam calls. I recently found a solution, though. It's called Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that finds and removes any personal information you don't want online. Then they make sure that information is gone for good. Delete Me tackles the largest people search databases on the web, helping to prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. And this is why I personally recommend and use Delete Me. My information is definitely out there. I have to be careful that nobody's able to take advantage of it. Delete Me helps protect my information and provides me peace of mind when it comes to my online privacy. Delete Me does the difficult work of scrubbing all your personal info off the web. 
It isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing personal information you don't want to be out there. All you have to do is sign up and provide Delete Me with the exact info you want deleted from the internet, and their experts will start working on it immediately. They also regularly send me these amazing personalized privacy reports showing what they found, where they found it, what they removed, and how much time they've saved me. With Delete Me, your personal profile is no longer something that they can sell. So take control of your data. Keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for listeners, today get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and enter code dailybeans at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans, code dailybeans. And it's gift given time and a great gift for anyone in your life is Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. I know that as a gift, deodorant probably isn't exactly what anyone has on their wish list, but Lumi is going to change some minds this holiday season. Lumi is already at the top of the most wished for list on Amazon personal care products, and it's very easy to see why. Lumi takes deodorant to the next level, designed by an OBGYN to work all over the body, including your pits, feet, privates, everything. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block body odor all day long thanks to its singular pH-optimized formula. So giving Lumi as a gift isn't giving deodorant. Lumi gives you confidence. You feel free head to toe. There's no other product that can match that. I didn't know what to expect when I first started using Lumi, but I was very surprised at how amazingly effective it is. Now I use it all over my entire body. It works consistently every day, even with going to the gym and my running, I still feel fresh. I cannot recommend Lumi enough. Lumi's starter pack is the perfect gift for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. New customers get $5 off the Lumi starter pack with code DAILYBEANS at lumideodorant.com. That's lumi, L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and code dailybeans for new customers to get $5 off the Lumi starter pack. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play What the Mutt, Find the Cat, What the Shell, um, Opine on the Bovine, What the Hequine, I mean, whatever it is, any animal you want me to guess, either the breed of or just what the animal is, you can send that to us. If you have a shout out to a loved one, your spouse, a shout out to yourself. I love self shout outs. They are the best. And we all need to do them every day, even if we don't send them into the Daily Beans. Okay. We have to do that every day. Uh, let's see, a shout out to a small business in your area that needs support or your small business. I want to know what you're making and creating. Or if you uh, have a pod pet photo you would like to share with us. And if you can't pay pod pet tax, send us an adoptable pet in your area. Frog orgies, baby pictures, anything you want to send to us, send it to us at dailybeans.com and click on contact. First up from Calvin, pronouns he and him. For a what the bug game. Okay, so this is about when I guessed the Japanese beetle. He goes, how about Beetlenamia <laughs> instead of Beetlemania? One, Beetlenamia, the categorization and or identification of a given member of the order Coleoptera. I guess that's the uh, order of beetles. Or number two, noun, a condition and or affront to social niceties. 
Upon detecting the musical theme of a Beatles song in their vicinity, the subject is compelled to immediately proclaim to anyone or no one the name of the song and some personal connection to the piece. As in good grief, Todd, please keep your Beatlenamia in check. This is a funeral. Nobody wants to hear the real meaning of Hey Jude. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, hey, side note, Beatles fans, MSW Media's got a great podcast called One Sweet Dream. It's a Beatles podcast hosted by Diana Erickson. It's amazing. All right, next up from Carrie, pronouns she and her. Legume goddesses, quick good news about me. I just got a promotion. In a time when I am the only breadwinner in the house, Hubby is pursuing his dreams, and I'm really proud that he's taking a chance at a time when he really can. But the pressure of the well-being of the house is on me. It's kind of reassuring that I'm appreciated at my job. Plus, this weekend, I got to celebrate my grandmother's 102nd birthday. She has seen so much in her life. She is my hero that she can still see the good in the world, and she prays for all of us every day. So I got that going for me. Attached is a picture of her. Just hope when I get to be her age, I can look as great as she does. You ladies are a nightlight in the darkness. Keep it bright. Thank you, Carrie. I will. I'm your only friend. I'm not your only friend. That's a song about a nightlight. Look at this beautiful picture. Oh, hey, Father. <laughs> Those ropes look familiar. You're right. She doesn't look a day over like 65. Holy crap. She's young as heck. Amazing. Beautiful roses. Thank you so much and happy birthday. Next up, Jamie B, pronoun she and her, listener from the kitchen table days. What, what? So Jamie, you know, this episode is really special to me with all of the stuff that happened today. Jamie says, I consume every episode of Beans Jack and clean up with gusto. Thanks to you, Dana, Andy, Pete, and folks behind the scenes for keeping track of it all. Would love to give a special shout out to a wonderful nonprofit I'm on the board of. It's called Health Connected. They're a leading sex education provider in California with a talented and dedicated group of educators and staff. They fund mostly with grants, but also rely on donations. So if this topic is near and dear to you as it is to me, check out health-connected.org. And thank you. My pet tax is Walter, named after John Goodman in The Big Lebowski. Hello, Walter. Oh, what a beautiful baby. And what a great film. Last time I saw that was a cinema under the stars. Mm, such a good movie. Next up from Frog, pronoun she and her. How about who can who can it be till I get it? In the it's the name for the Beatle identifications game. Who can it be till? Yeah, but you need to sing it to Men at Work song, Who Can It Be Now? I was already a step ahead of you, Frog. Thank you so much for the show. She says, you are welcome. Next up, Jen, she, they, shout out to my dad who turned 88 on Pearl Harbor Day. Sadly, he has dementia, but still recognizes each of his kids and their spouses. We had so much fun taking him out for lunch and watching him blow out his candle on his birthday brownie. Dad served in the army in the 1950s and remembers all of his travels while serving. Man, I bet he's got some stories, Jen. Happy belated birthday, Dad. And here's some wonderful photos. Look at Dad. Hello. Happy birthday, Dad. Next up from Adam. Pronouns he and him. Good news, lovely ladies of the legume. I passed my preliminary comprehensive qualifying exams this week. There's paperwork being processed, but I am now a PhD candidate in geography, looking at the intersections of environmental data and policing justice and how they affect people's rights to this. Wow. To this right to the city. That's such a cool topic. Intersections of Environmental Data and Policing Justice. Wow. 
I have a past thesis title for you, Adam says, a comparison of two connect connectivity modeling techniques, corridor designer and circuitscape written years ago. For Pod Pet Tax, I present Hot Pocket called Pocky, our tuxedo, Mama Quincy, our orange foster fail, who we got, and she was pregnant with kittens, and they were successfully adopted out. I love orange girls. They're very rare. Uh, and Kushka, an Americanized version of the Russian word for kitten, all of whom are helping, quote unquote, me study for and write my exams. Thank you for everything you do. You ladies have gotten me through another master's degree and through this PhD. Keep doing what you're doing which is being awesome. Well, hello, Kushka, and hello, kittens. Oh, what beautiful babies, Pocky. Okay, and then Quincy. Hello. So adorbs. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely wonderful kittens, too. Appreciate you and your pod pet tax, and congratulations. Next up, anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beanie and their queens. AG and DG. I have some good news to share. After being eligible to vote 12 years ago, but felt too overwhelmed with my ADHD to register and keep up with any and every politics that's been happening, I am finally, finally registered to vote in my new state of Illinois. When I was in college, I didn't really care about politics in our country. That changed when I went to visit friends in Sweden, and they all had to vote when I was there. Sweden made it a law that everyone 18 and up has to vote during elections, and it intrigued me to our own politics. And then I became overwhelmed with everything, that my ADHD kicked in and shut my brain down from the stress, and I became depressed with myself over not being able to register. But now, after eight years of moving around with my husband, a submarine officer in the Navy, hello, sir, we settled down in the hometown, uh, his hometown of Palatine, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and after a year of house buying, baby two's arrival, and my New Jersey driver's license expiring a few weeks ago, I was finally able to register while transferring and renewing my license. Listening to the Beans has been such a great thing for me to stay informed with politics and truly care for my country and community as we gear up for the big 2024 fight. For my pod tax, I have a few pics of my two little ones and our Christmas tree. My daughter is three and my son is 18 months. That's one and a half years for those without kids. <laughs> we are a mixed family of Korean, Japanese, and American, and we speak all three. I hope everyone out there in Beans World has a peaceful and joyful holiday this year. Even though not everyone in this world will, I wish everyone the best. And may we all crush that we defeat that orange wannabe dictator. Look at these beautiful babies. Okay, I'm super jealous of her hair. It's perfect. It's perfect. That is perfect hair. How does she get to have that? Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you, Anonymous. And thanks to everybody for sending your good news in today. Today was a, a heavy news day and a heavy show. But a lot of good news and a lot of justice being done, and a lot of injustices being done. And I'll keep bringing them to you in the news. Dana will be back soon, I promise. <laughs> Thank you for hanging in with me, Solo. I really appreciate it. I'll be back in your ears tomorrow, and we have a new episode of Clean Up tomorrow as well. Until then, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I'm an AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. 
Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.